Welcome to Behind the Blade Podcast, episode 20, the big 2-0. We are getting there, man. We're nearly half a year. Oh, no kidding. Right. Yeah, yeah we're nearly true. half a year. That's true. Probably half a year with the uh, couple of, what do you call it, sabbaticals we took or whatever? Yeah, 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 probably. Blade week was off. Yep, yep, Blade week was off, and then we, we had busy weeks in, intermittently, yeah, you know, here and there, peppered. What would we need? Seven or to get half a week? To get a little bit over that, yeah. Oh, okay. so, yeah. so yeah, I think we've only missed two, maybe three weeks total. So, yeah, we're, so we're still shy. Yeah, still shy of, <laughs> yeah. of half a year, but getting very close. Uh, this is definitely a a big deal for us, because uh, and I know a lot of you guys have been with us since episode one, but uh, 20, I think it's a little milestone, a little micro milestone. It is, it is, especially with how busy we are. I mean, uh, and we've been we've been fairly consistent with this whole thing. We've put out rocketing episodes. We've been really satisfied with the episodes. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, some episodes <laughs> at the end, we're like, that was pretty good for a couple of guys who have no idea what right? they're doing. Yeah, right? <laughs> and and uh, 95% of the time, I know we've said this before, but i got to say it again because it's totally true, is that, is that Matt and I, it's Thursday, and we're like, <sighs> yeah, you want to yeah. do a podcast? <sighs> yeah, we should do a podcast. And then by the time we get in to this part right here, we've caught our second win. And then, it's, and then it's And then it's 100% balls to the wall. We're doing it up. We're doing it up. Do you know where that term comes from? I don't. Where, where's that? Balls to the wall. And you do not have to cover your children's ears, guys. This is a true fact. Okay. So if you can envision the throttles on a commercial aircraft or any aircraft, like the hand throttles. Yeah. They were typically uh, kind of flat bars. Right. With, with, with a like a spherical finial on top. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so when you wanted to really ramp up your throttle, you would put your balls to the wall. Right. All the way up. It looks like a ball and you put it to the wall. It's like putting the pedal to the metal kind of euphemism gotcha. in aviation. Gotcha. I did not know that. So yeah, so it's not as graphic or profane as it sounds. <laughs> sick-minded people. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what were you thinking? So there you go. That's <laughs> right. so, uh, well, in today's, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. But I will. I didn't mean to, but I will. <laughs> um, today's episode, we actually just came from the Bark River company picnic first yeah. annual company first picnic, annual company picnic yeah um so we were out kind of late and we were tied up from the evening obviously we went straight from the shop i didn't even shower i just changed shirts uh we went over there for quite a while it is almost 10 o'clock here now so we didn't really put the time into a history segment or even a tech tip segment and this is kind of a fun episode. It's episode 20, and so we have some kind of loose outlines of some stuff we want to cover, um, mostly knife-related, and uh, some of it are things that we think are humorous that you may or may not agree with. But we're going to kind of free-form it and touch on some kind of fun topics and just have a rap session, if you will. Um, so bear with us. It's going to be a fun one, but it might be a little bit fast and loose. Of course, at the end, I uh, know that we do have, uh, in spite of us not putting up the question box, we have some pretty good Q&As to cover that I really want to touch on. I know that you especially got something personally that, that you were going to cover on there that I haven't even seen yet. Oh, it's like a so, salvo of great questions. Yeah, okay. I mean, uh, yeah, some cool. really good stuff, so I definitely want to touch on it. And it kind of loosely fits the theme of the outline that we have put together for the show. So stay tuned. Episode 20. We will be right back with some Fast and Loose content. All right, and welcome back. Also, to start us off, traditionally, and in celebration of our 20th episode, Matt, what are you carrying, good sir? What am I carrying? I am carrying a beater. I don't want to say beater, but it's well-loved, well-used. Mm-hmm. Um, made in February 2015. Well, bam Microtech Executive Scarab and Max. This has got the stonewashed kind of satin finish. It's been tumbled, uh, you know, but it's like a white steel finish. 
on a black anodized aluminum frame. Um, it has the hardened ball window breaker. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ceramic. I think it's just a hardened steel <clears throat> ball. Just a hardened right? steel ball at I, the very end, encapsulated in the in the cone. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. kind of a cool little setup. And, and to be quite honest, and you can buy these. Obviously, we saw on the Marfion Custom a little bit different variant of this. But I like this ball version better than the spike version that comes on the Ultratex. Sure, yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because every time I reach into my pocket with my Ultratex, inevitably, I would gouge my pinky <laughs> like the, the ridge hand. Excuse me, guys. The uh, <laughs> the you know karate chopping side of your hand, sword I would, hand. I would, yeah, yeah. Exactly. knife hands, knife, knife hands, hands, sword. Um, <laughs> I would scratch it really bad with the spike. So the advent of this little hardened ball um, will still get you out of a vehicle window. Oh if yeah, you were totally. Trapped in it or something like that. Uh, God forbid. But uh, it's not as aggressive, so it, it doesn't hurt you when you put your hand in your pocket. Nice. Um, Switchblades are not legal in Michigan as of yet. I think we're waiting till October 10th. Is yep, that right? October 10th, I think, is the go date. Yeah, so, so I'm bucking the law, you know. Right. But uh, it is what it is. I'm not using it for nefarious purposes. I'm using it for demonstration. Yep. Also, today, in my little custom-made leather slip that we talked about last episode, I'm carrying the black Alox Farmer, one of my favorite Swiss Army knives. Oh, man, I was, look, I was looking at those. Pioneer, I'm sorry. I was looking at those on uh, on Amazon, and I should have just picked one up. Really? Like 28 bucks or something. Or something like that. Yeah, the, even the Alox wasn't a, wasn't a bad price. It was like 75 bucks or less oh, for, that, for the so Alox. Yeah. You have to watch out. And this is something, uh, and I shouldn't say watch out. Just be aware. This is, You need to be aware of this. There is, oh, I'm going to mess this up, Swiss Banco. Is that right? I'm sorry. Uh, this is going to be dead air, but I want you guys to be aware of this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swiss Banco. Swiss I totally, Banco. I totally screwed this up. Hang on, I'm typing <laughs> it in. This is so bad. Uh, Type. <laughs> hang on. I'm typing. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Um, Army knife. There's a company out there that does kind of, I don't want to say exotic, Swiss Bianco, B-I-A-N-C-O, Swiss Bianco. So what they do is they do custom versions of Aloxes okay. in a, a production capacity. Okay. So they get them from Victorinox, <clears throat> maybe also from Wenger, I'm not positive, and mm-hmm. now they're the same as you guys learned in the last history lesson, so it doesn't mm. matter as of today. Lesson um, pop quiz, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so they get the, the knives from them, but they'll do kind of custom colors. Okay, and they're not like a modded Swiss Army knife, so they don't—they're not like uh, stone washed and tumbled. They'll just be like a vivid color difference, or they'll put the fire steel striker. I think they're the ones that do the fire steel striker in the spine. Cool, and they'll yeah. do some cool stuff like that. But the difference between a Pioneer Victorinox Pioneer mm-hmm. on Amazon, I think for twenty-eight dollars mm-hmm. plus or minus, maybe upwards of thirty-five or something like that, and a Swiss Bianco, yeah, seventy-two. Really? Yes. So it's double the price. Excuse me. Okay. Now, are they worth it? A lot of times they're engraved with Swiss Bianco on the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are more collectible, I would say. And they have uh, some, especially something like this. These are so That's collectible. It. They're like uh, garbage pail kids or baseball cards because there's sure. so many different variants, right? Um, so they are a little bit unique and they are a little bit collectible and that drives the price up. But is there a noticeable quality difference? No, because they're the same tools, they're gotcha. the same knife. They're just different colors now, and different features. Now, this one is the Alox, or this one's the Pioneer? That's an Alox Pioneer. That's, so Alox oh, okay, is in okay. reference to the uh, textured <clears throat> aluminum scales. 
Oh, is that really yeah, is that well, really it? Okay. I, I don't know what the ox stands for, but you know, typically alox in my world is aluminum oxide. You know what I mean? Right. So there's this uh, mnemonic device that tells me that's the aluminum scales, but that's what that means. Alox is just the aluminum scales, and what you lose. And I know, guys, we covered Swiss Army knives last episode, but we said this is going to be kind of free flowing this week. Um, what you lose with the alox, unfortunately, oh look at that, that's the same. Okay. Is the uh, toothpick and tweezers? Right. They don't pocket right. for that. And gotcha. I wish, I wish Victorinox would do that because to me, uh, you know, I've got I'm 30 something. That's all you guys are going to get. 30, I don't care. And, you know, <laughs> I've got gold teeth or whatever, you know, I've, I've had uh, crowns, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I, it's, I like to get the food out from between there. And I actually, on my tinker uh -huh. that we got from, you know, my friend who mailed to me as a gift, I love having that toothpick because I use it regularly. Sure. Yeah. Broccoli or something like that. You know, I like to get the stuff out of my teeth. And on the Alox, it doesn't come with that. So I feel like I'm really giving something up. So if I had to say that the Pioneer Alox is a cut above the Camillus Demo Knife because it's a little smaller, a little bit more finely finished than a standard Swiss Army Knife Tinker or uh, I think they have like a – I can't think of what model is comparable to this. It might even be just a Pioneer. <laughs> um, it comes with a toothpick and tweezers, and those are such handy features on the knife. Like, can we please put those in the aluminum right, scales? Right, It's not that big of a feat of engineering to do. Well, obviously, if they did it in the plastic ones. Well, the plastic yeah, I mean, ones click on to the pivot boss. So okay. the pivot has a little boss. Imagine um, what looks like a tiny brass hockey puck yeah. sitting on the stainless steel outer liner. Oh, gotcha. And it just snaps on. And they snap gotcha. onto that. So mm -hmm. the, the toothpick actually rides over that. Sure. So okay. you would have to get a little creative, but I think by moving it more towards the spring side, mm -hmm. and I'm sorry, guys, but I'm going to show Jim with my fingernail what I'm talking about. If you went more here instead of centered. Yeah, yeah, you, you could it. you you could clear that you, you could clear, clear the the, the retention pin. So yeah, you know I have a mill. So you should do this on a weekend. I should get another yeah. <laughs> one of these in case I screw it up. I can order it from one uh -huh. of many dealers. Uh, I know that DLTTrading.com carries these. Cool. Okay. I think KnivesShipFree.com carries Swiss Army knives. That I'm not sure. I'd have and to so, yeah, I have to look have it to look up. Into that. But uh, I would probably just order another one and then blow the scales off because – and Jim knows way more about slip joints than I do uh, because, honestly, even though I carry one every day, I hate them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I reluctantly love them. Um, setting the rivets is what makes it kind of difficult. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you have to get that tension just right. Otherwise, you have a lot of blade wobble and, or the knife's too stiff or yep. something like that. Yep. I, th I, think, I think we have the patience enough to really kind of figure out a good method. But really, you just – Tap, 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 check it. Tap, 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 check it. Tap, 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 check but it. I can't help it until it's right. That if we, like, use 256 screws or something like that and screwed this textured side down to an aluminum plate. Yeah. And then chucked it up in the jaws and then took, like, a. 330 seconds? 16th inch or 330 seconds. seconds. Yeah, I'd have to yeah. check the width on the tweezers and the toothpick and then just yeah. milled a slot. And then and just put the whole thing back together on either side. Then yeah. you would have the cavity for the toothpick and the tweezers. You absolutely could. Because the yeah. radius, I think, is the same on what would be the bolster end guys of the knife. So if you're looking at like a cigar shaped knife and you're holding it horizontally with the folded edges or the mm -hmm. folded blades in spine up, then the ends would be the, they're not bolstered in this case, but just picture a bolstered end or something like that. So I think that radius is the same because the toothpick and the tweezers have a slight radius to them also. Yeah, they do. I, th and, I think that was matched up and you could do yeah. that. If you were to make the tweezers and the toothpick, you could always just slide it in so it fits snugly and then just finish it. Yeah, but it's black. That's what, so it, 
Okay, so you have one sacrificial handle. Oh, this is where like <laughs> Sigmund Freud would call yeah. me, yeah, super <laughs> anal retentive. I'm retentive. Uh, I, I don't think I could bring myself to polishing the entire perimeter and losing that black contrast against the springs. I mean, these are. Yeah. I tell you what, man. I mean, uh-huh. these are seriously all all my Swiss Army knives, mm-hmm. from my Tinker to my Champion to my. Uh, oh, I can't remember the other one. It's like a Pioneer or something like that. Um, to my Alox Pioneer. What's the other one? It's a f- farmer? Maybe? The farmer, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, they're also finely made, and the action on them is so smooth, and the finish is so... I can't believe that this is a sub-$100 knife. You know what yeah. I mean? <clears throat> well, I mean, just, it, they, they mass-produce a lot of them, and they're very popular. But they're so good at it. I mean, oh, nothing yeah. goes to waste. Oh, yeah, man. The... The, the the I'm looking on Amazon right now. The Swiss Army Pioneer Silver Alox, one size, thirty five bucks. There you go. Yeah, see, thirty five bucks. Yeah, so I mean, it's not outside of the realm of reality. Now, if you look up those Swiss Biancos, you'll see that they're seventy two. Right. And I think that's the only rep at Blade Show, and that's what kind of turned me off because I went to the Swiss Army knife booth, what I thought was, and it's the Swiss Bianco knife booth, mm-hmm. and I was like, dude, I'm not paying sixty eight bucks for a. This was army knife. I'm sorry, I'm just not, especially with the five. Tools yeah, not only are you paying full retail for the knife, you're also paying double for the customization. Yeah, yeah. So I, was like, I, yeah, I can understand that. that. So, all right, what are you carrying, Jim? All right, so I've talked about this before, but I'm super proud of it, and it's the only large knife other than my custom that I carry, and I love how it feels in the hand. It's my it's my custom boon too. <sighs> so so I think I told the story of this knife before. Where basically a, a gentleman got a, a boon too. From uh, from from my it was either an ship for your DLT trading that uh, that that he didn't like how the fuller was finished. He just he just wasn't satisfied at all. So he sent it back into us and said, "I'd like you to regrind the fuller, please." And so I did. No I, small task. No, no, it wasn't a small task at all. I mean, like I've been I've been experimenting with hollow grinds lately, and because you know we all do convexes, so this is a little bit outside of my outside of my comfort zone. It's okay. <laughs> so it's a little outside of my comfort zone which is good i mean that's how you grow and learn so i said well screw it i'm gonna grind a fuller in so i ground in a fuller on a with a one inch wheel i thought i did a pretty decent job for the first fuller well, I think you did a great job, yeah. thank you i, I thought this i did is a, on a one inch wheel i think it was a one inch wheel it could have been a three quarter because you know with no, the belt it had to be bigger or did you move no. it up and down <laughs> No, no, not this really. Is press no, and that, go. that was pressing and go. I think I did a little bit up and down so I could clean the lines up. This, this but I mean, it's really wide for a one-inch wheel. Yeah, so it could have been. It could have been a bigger wheel because I've got. I've got one. I think I've got one and a quarter, one and a half. I'll show two. you when we go to the shop tomorrow. I'll show you what my one-inch wheel looks okay. like. Okay, and we'll see what fits that and, one. Then. And well, yeah, and I'll, you'll see the difference. I think yours is probably a third wider than mine. Okay, period. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I, so I ground this fuller and I did a pretty good job. Kept it even side to side. I tried to do a pretty good job keeping the top and bottoms even across across the handle. And I really liked it. It looked like a marble's, you know, canoe or an ideal. Yeah. You know, I mean, or or like a, like a Wayden butcher with the big old fuller in it that cuts into the plunge line and or cuts into the cuts into the grind line and nice sharp oh, yeah. lines and everything. So I, I was pretty happy with it. I'm like, this guy's gonna love this knife. It's fantastic. And uh, so so we set it back. Comes back like a week later. I don't like this. Uh, the fuller is way too big, and I think it looks bad. And I want a new knife. So. Yeah, and <laughs> I, look, I told Jim this off the uh-huh. air, and I've seen a fair part of his collection. I don't think I've seen the entire thing, but I've seen a fair part of his collection. This is, I think, my favorite knife that he owns that I've seen. And so for the guy to say, this is not the fuller for me, I, I think he maybe missed a little bit of a design eye, Jim. I think he did a good job even without qualifying it. Not, not oh, like thanks. You did a good job for your first fuller. 
I think it's just a good looking fuller and it mm-hmm. makes it a great looking knife. And I, I think this is such a gem and I think you're lucky to have it. And I think the other guy uh, missed the boat. And this isn't me um, blowing smoke. I'm sure. being legitimate. I think this is just a well thought out, well designed, attractive knife. I mean, it looks like a, what, like a six inch ideal. Yeah, basically. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, 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 I think that's what it was designed after. It's yeah. supposed to be a, a mixture between a Marble's Ideal and I think a Wade and Butcher Teddy. Is okay. that is I think is is I think is what is what the original pattern was. Yeah. So it's I supposed to that. you know so that it, it's supposed to be like a mix between those two, but now it has the the Marble style fuller across the across yes. the length of the blade, and I think and I agree. I think it's a really hot knife. Just needs a brass guard. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I guess we're gonna have to remake one. Yes. So um. <laughs> So, so that's that. He didn't like it. I ended up, I ended up making him another one with a stock fuller and just satining the stock fuller out. And he seemed to be pretty happy. I don't know. I haven't heard back from him yet. So that he was, you know, um, but he seems to be happy and satisfied now. So great. So it's a win-win. So the knife, instead of it sitting there because we couldn't sell it to a distributor because it's heavily modified at this point, I just went, well, screw it. It's mine. There you go. And so, and so now it's on my hip. Rank has its privileges. It's true. It's true. So I'm carrying that and I'm carrying my trusty Victorinox because that's popular these days. My, my, uh, my Swiss tool. There you go. One of the least popular multi-tools ever. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. A lot of guys don't like it and I understand why. So the main gripes between this is that it feels comfortable while it's closed until you go to open it. And really? have to use it. Well, I mean, well, when, when you open up the thing, you don't oh. actually have a grip on it, right? You really have to, like, learn how to use it. And then until until you can actually get it on something so you can twist it. Because so, you have to open. I guess. I mean, if that's yeah. what you have, though, you get used to it in about an hour. I've changed car batteries with that. Yeah. I've, I, I've, done, I've done all sorts of rewiring. I carried that when my parents had the shooting range. Oh, okay. Oh, and, so you've had it for a while. Uh, and and yeah. and I've clipped it. I, I've clipped wires. I've stripped wires. I've done all sorts of work with that. I've made other knives with that. I mean, so it's it's a uh, it's held up this whole time. All the tools are in good condition. I've used everything on it for a number of years, and I've had it for a long time, and it it fits for me. I mean, it still opens nicely. It's got a nice snap to it. Look, so make no bones about it. This is a production knife, right? Oh I'm, yeah. I'm talking directly to the guys in the trench crew right now. Um. <laughs> If you want to set a standard for fit and finish, first of all, stop doing uh, 36 grit grind sandblasted and tumbled. So that's just me. It's an editorial. <laughs> Number one, uh, stop. <laughs> stop doing that. But if you want to set a standard for fit and finish, something that is smooth to the touch, ups its corrosion resistance, anything from 1095 to even your stainless steels, you know, uh, a higher luster is going to up its corrosion resistance. That's the whole point of that. And I understand the tactical guys don't necessarily want something reflective or whatever, but if you're actually looking at an EDC knife, then you want to have that higher corrosion resistance in that nice polished finish and you want it to be even. But if you want a benchmark for fit and finish, look at Victorinox. Yeah. No, I totally agree. They're not sponsors of the show, guys. No. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not, and even if they were, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. In fact, something got left behind today because the old adage, if you can't think of something nice to say, say nothing at all. And it was something that we were going to talk about. And after looking at it, reviewing it, cutting myself on it, I told Jim, I said, I'm not talking about this. I, yeah. I don't like this product and we're not going to do it. So you guys will never know what that is. Uh, <laughs> but I can tell you it's sitting on Jim's kitchen counter, a floor above us right now, because I didn't even want it in the room with us because I was so unimpressed yep. with it. It's all alone. We put it in a corner for timeout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you guys really want to set uh-huh. the standard for fit and finish, it is worth examining the Swiss Army tools, knives, and multi-tools because mm-hmm. it's really astonishing that they do this on a production level. And it's not washed out. It's not – I mean, everything is crazy crisp 
and yeah. smooth. I mean, those Swiss cats have it, it going I, on. I've had this for over, uh, I think I think it's going on 12 years wow. now, this knife, or, or the, the, the Swiss tool. And before this, I had like a Gerber multi-tool. Oh, which and, I like, yeah. And, and uh, this was an older one. Uh-huh. So so it, I mean, there was a quick snap to it. All the tools were good. I ended up giving it away to a friend. But then I picked this one up because I missed having a multi-tool. And I've honestly never looked back. Yeah. A lot of guys a lot of guys complain about the weight. They feel like it's a brick, like it weighs down it, their Yeah, pants. it is heavy, yeah. I've, I've honestly... And maybe it's because I'm a shorter, stout guy, but I've I've never had a problem with the weight. I think not once. you only have a problem so, with the weight when you start thinking about it. And maybe, if you haven't yeah. been carrying it for years and are used to that weight, uh, you know, it's just like carrying yeah. a handgun concealed for the first time. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know you're you're I mean? aware and of the weight the whole time. You're like, oh, wow. And it, to some mm-hmm. people, it's uncomfortable and they'll stop before they actually get used to it and grow into it. Right. Right. This is true. But. So, so, you know, I... I, I encourage you, if you can find a good price on one, pick one up. You're not going to go wrong. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing's a tank. It really is. So that's what I'm carrying today. There you go. All right. Got any news? Um, I do have some news. Matt, let's hit some news. Industry headlines from around the world. Brought to you by KnifeNews.com. Knife news for knife people. All right. For the news, we actually have some pretty cool stuff this time. Remember, remember that week... A couple weeks ago, or a couple of episodes ago, that we had talked about how Spyderco was was was, was uh, suing, suing eBay, eBay yes. for 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 not cracking down on counterfeit items. Well, it turns out that Spyderco also tried to file a lawsuit against Kittery Trading Post in Maine. Now, from Colorado, it didn't work. Um, it said the uh, the judge Christine M. Agrello wrote, even after resolving all factual disputes in favor of the plaintiff. This court cannot conclude that defendant expressly aimed its actions at Colorado. Matt and I can't quite put that one together. At Colorado, the state of Colorado yeah, at Colorado, is not the not, same as Spider Co. I, that doesn't make any it's sense. Like, I'm sorry, this is not yeah. communism. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't get it. But so anyway, they they just pursued another means. So they so they just refiled the lawsuit again against Kittery Trading Post in Maine. So, and Spyderco alleges that Kevin Inc. knowingly sold counterfeits of two of its most popular models, the Paramilitary 2 and Military, at its outdoor store. The new lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court of Maine bears a close resemblance to the initial Colorado suit, but two Colorado-specific changes, the violation of the Colorado Consumer Protection Act and misappropriation of business value are no longer at issue. The Kevin Inc. lawsuit is one of two that Golden Colorado-based Spider Co. is actively pursuing. At the end of July, the company took e-commerce giant eBay to task right, for the right, sale of fake Spider Co. knives. Yep, we talked about that. So they're still in pursuit of that, and and honestly, more power to them. They really should be cracking down on counterfeit knives. I think you know they are probably in the top three of counterfeit knives, sure. uh, both in numbers and recognition. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I would say Microtech, um, obviously Spyderco. Who would be another one that is frequently just banged off? Um, Microtech's a big one. Yeah, Buck, maybe, for Pakistani copies. Do they? Kind of. Kind of, but yeah. they're not branded Buck. Oh, you know, that, that's so, true. That's you know true. I mean? I'm, they, think, they I'm thinking of like, clones. Yeah, they look like a clone, yeah. I guess. But there are a lot of fake mm-hmm. Microtechs. So maybe, and I know there's some uh, fake, oh, Strider. Medford, oh, Strider, yes. Medford, Medford, Medford Strider, yes. You know, Medford is yeah. not as big as the rest of them. Um, but those guys are all, I mean, knocked off and mass. Yeah. Like, it's uh, it's nasty. And a Spyderco with the numbers, production numbers that they put out and the brand recognition and the fact that there is some... Um, how do you? There's a major, or at least was a major discrepancy between MSRP 
and street price, right, like, to the tune of like almost fifty percent. Really? Because they didn't map. They didn't uh, minimum advertise pricing yeah. enforcement. You know <laughs> oh, they I mean? didn't do any enforcement at all. So it just kind of went, it was wild, wild west. So an Endura, so, let's yeah. take an Endura 4. Sure. It's a $100 knife according to Spyderco's MSRP. Yeah. Now you can buy it at any PX or anywhere like that for 60 bucks. Right. And you can probably find them on Amazon right now for 45 bucks, maybe under, maybe just shy of 60. Right. What's on Amazon for an Endura um, I am looking up right now, but I'm saving my tab of the Victorinox Pioneer, because oh, I'm going to buy one yeah. later. Um, Amazon, and we're looking for the Endura 4. Um, $62 by Spyderco. So this is from Spyderco on Amazon. Okay. So $62.08. Um, Which is I think what I think I got. It's probably based on handle. Yeah, so $68.97 for for the uh, serrated edge, uh-huh. total serrated edge, um, plain edge is just over seventy bucks. Really, that's so weird. Yep, that they do it that way. One hundred and six dollars for the lightweight flat ground plain edge. See, that's yeah. from Spyderco. So that's MSRP. Yes, yeah, so this is Spyderco. Spyderco. Yeah. yeah, and and that's it's, Endura. I mean, it's a great knife. Don't get me wrong. I think a hundred dollar price tag is a little steep on it. Honestly, I think 60 bucks is getting all the money for it, but still worth it. Yeah. You know, and so uh, that's, I, when, before they started enforcing their map pricing though, I mean, it was a race to the bottom. Uh, one of my dealers used that term with me and I thought it was so appropriate because one, once one person sets the standard that they're going to profit 50 cents a unit and make it up in volume, mm-hmm. then everybody has to be at that same price. Otherwise, they're going to lose all the sales. Yeah. So it's a race to the bottom. So I'm a huge proponent and advocate for map pricing, minimum advertised pricing. No, I think it's a great thing too. I'm, I'm totally right there. Um, and I think Spyderco is one of those brands that suffered greatly from, maybe not them because it helped proliferate their brand and it helped get those knives in the hands of everybody. But at the same time, they were getting knocked off for $30 out of China. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is crazy because yeah. they have manufacturers in Taichung. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But it was the Japanese and U.S. made knives that are getting knocked off more than anything else, which is ironic because the tooling's not even in-house. You know what I mean? It's not like they're <laughs> selling out the back door. Right. So, yeah, pretty interesting. But <laughs> So, so yeah, they're cracking down on it. Good. Yeah. yeah. So, more absolutely. So, in item number two, a quick shout out to Tracy Mickley at Midwest Knife Maker Supply for rallying the troops to make a relief fund that helps Texan-based knife makers affected by the recent natural disaster Hurricane Harvey. Um, and uh, those makers that depend on knife making as their primary income can use our help as a community, says Tracy Mickley, owner of Midwest Knife Maker Supply. This is about doing the right thing and about helping people in need. Okay, usanifemaker.com slash donations dash four dash hurricane dash Harvey dash knife makers dash four dot HTML. So it's a little bit lengthy, but it is on his website, usanifemaker.com. And if you guys feel like giving, man, absolutely give. So I think that wraps up the new segment. We'll be back. We'll be back. This episode of Behind the Blade Podcast is brought to you by Tom Crine of Crine Knives. Uh, talented cat in his own respect. Uh, he's definitely in demand. I don't think he's taking any custom orders at this point, but uh, he does occasionally do these flash lottos and knives available on his Facebook group, Crying Knives. Uh, is it Crying Knives? CryingKnives.net. CryingKnives.net. Jim, always there to save me in the in the crux. Don't forget about Facebook.com/groups/slash 
Crying Knives. There you go. Uh, interesting thing about Tom, he's also a wellspring of knowledge with his history in the industry, and he actually helped me as uh, an operating agent of Vehement Knives uh, up our guard soldering game probably 10 levels, which is a short conversation. So he's definitely got some of the old school tribal knowledge, but he also has a lot of contemporary execution in his work. So I recommend checking him out. Guy's a master of the grind. Again, that's Crying Knives, K-R-E-I-N, Knives. And if you can't spell knives, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. And we are back after a From the Hip uh, news segment with the help of our friends over at Knife News. Um, KnifeNews.com. KnifeNews.com. I hope you guys like that little drop we put together. That was Jim in there doing that. Yeah, he taught me the term for this, the High Atlantean accent. And I just think it's the coolest thing since a pocket on a shirt. I'm not going to lie. I like it. I like it a lot, too. It's super classy, man. I mean, you, you immediately think of, like, super streamlined bullet trains. Extra, and, extra. Read and, all about it. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's just cool. You know, sepia and, uh, and, yes. and all that. <laughs> you, you instantly think about that. That is the audio counterpart to sepia, sepia tone. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. They, they they go hand in hand. I mean, it's it's almost steampunkish. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, like if, if you were to have like a like an obnoxious side character in a steampunk story, you know that he would talk like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought you it know? was fun. It was a lot of fun. I thought it was just cool. So I hope you guys are enjoying it too. Um, for our history segment, um, because we didn't have time today due to the company picnic and work, which is insane right now. Um, we decided to kind of talk about bushcraft. I recently, as you guys know, Vehement Knives is getting a new world headquarters. And Woo! on that, yeah, thank you. Mm. And on that uh, property is a little parcel of woods. So I think we have two and a half acres of forest out there that we're going to be building a camp in. And it made me bust out my bushcraft gear again. And since the move to Michigan, we haven't been camping very much. But in doing that, uh, I wanted to kind of go over... Um, and Jim and I are both going to kind of freeform on this. It's not too structured, but I wanted to kind of go over some fundamentals of bushcraft edged tools and what I use and hopefully what Jim uses also he'll input and kind of, uh, maybe even throw a couple perspectives at stuff that we may take for granted. So some thinking points and talking points on that. So Jim, are you ready? I, I believe I'm ready. We'll find out. All right, let's do this. I know we made some notes, but I, I kind of have this one thing burning in my head is what is your camping knife loadout? Now, let's not go into the pretense that we're knife guys and when we go car camping, we take 60 knives so that we can test them all out. But what are your <laughs> dedicated camping knives? Mine? Yes. Okay, so I, um, this is a little self-serving. But um, other than the fact that both these knives are Bark River knives. Okay. So even more self-serving than that, um, I really like the performance of my Springbok. Okay. Not I, you know, I really like that knife, too. Yeah. A lot. Like Thank quite you. A bit. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, like, it's it's meant to be comfortable in the hand. It's meant to be used during bushcraft and hunting. It's it's a knife that's designed to be comfortable in the hand for both those tasks equally. And I mean, and, and for me, both those things do kind of go hand in hand. Yep. Because if you're in a survival situation, you're going to need to eat food. Right. <laughs> so food is good. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're, you're likely not going to carry a hunting knife, a bushcraft knife, and an EDC knife. Right. You know, when you're, when you're lost in the woods unexpectedly, you're going you're gonna to have one single knife to do that. And the Springbok's supposed to fit that bill. Um, it didn't really set the world on fire. Which um, I'm surprised because, honestly, <clears throat> it's uh, – look, there's a lot of Bark River knives that I detest. I hate – I'll – 
Look, no, tell me. It's cool. I'm yeah. writing that. And yeah. there's nothing anybody is going to do to change their mind about how they feel about it. <laughs> uh-huh. But the Canadian belt knife, or in your case, the Canadian special, <laughs> the micro-Canadian, yeah. or the Canadian, whatever maple syrup drizzled pattern with that leaf-shaped blade <laughs> and that skinny whittled away handle, uh-huh. I can't stand it. And people are huge fans oh, yeah, of them. They're big and fans. And you yeah. will never stop them. That's why I'm like, I'm not going to lose sales for anybody by Matt Martin saying he doesn't like one specific model. <laughs> but I detest the look <laughs> and feel uh, and i think your dad that's his like uh-huh. go-to camp yeah that, that that is his go-to camping knife is the canadian special it, it is, is so terrible yeah. looking to me that i can't get beyond it like i just can't <laughs> for, for us for us the entire design was silly enough that that it would sell well and still very comfortable and utilitarian people love so it, so pe- people go crazy for it my point is mm-hmm. is something like the springbok which i find to be a visually appealing knife Thank you. I think it uh-huh. it is a comfortable knife. And this, look, guys, this isn't a Bark River commercial. We just talk about what we know, right? Yeah. Um, I, I really like that knife. I, in fact, there was a guy who came to the grind and uh, last grind in June or I don't know what the last one was. I guess June. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a guy there who had one on his like uh, line gear. I don't know. If he was a medic of some sort, but he seemed like a pretty serious guy. I don't think I remember him. Did he, I meet him? Uh, big Mexican dude. Really cool. Yeah. Like, uh, his name was like Ruben or something. I don't remember, but uh, mm-hmm. he had one and just a super cool cat. So we ended up talking for a lot of the grinding, like just chit chatting. Yeah. And he had one that was just, you know, well used and well cared for. And I was like, this, that's where I fell in love with that knife. I was like, thank this you. is a sweet yeah. knife. Is that your design? Yeah. Is that what totally. you keep saying? Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. it, it's, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Again, I'm trying to not yeah. be self serving right. here, but, but this is just what, what I know. I designed that knife totally 100%. The only thing that, that my father added was the fuller. Oh, okay. In there for for a little bit of visual of extra visual appeal. And I think it works. So yeah, I, so, I do too. But yeah. I think it's hot. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. uh, reminiscent of a model that we dipped our toe into, and then never. I mean, it sold really well, but we just never expounded upon it. We just never went any further with it. So, um, but it's. I just think it's a hot knife, and as far as a well-rounded utilitarian knife, I, I think that has it in spades. So, yep. all right, thank you. That so, so <clears throat> uh, hate the Canadian special, like the Springbok. What else? Okay, my ultralight bushcrafter. Okay. Because I think it's super important to have a small, uh, deft, quick, sharp knife. Um, not only just for EDC, but one of the reasons, one, one of the entire philosophies <laughs> behind our bushcrafter series is is to kind of fit that bill. Um, I like I like the Springbok better than I do the bushcrafter, but I like the ultralight bushcrafter a lot. I carry it every day. It's yeah, lightweight. Well, yeah, it's super sharp. It's three V. Um, you know, most days. Today was a boon two day. But yeah. but but ultralight bushcrafter. Um so I carry both those knives. One because it makes smaller, finer, faster cuts than the bush than the springbok. Does it really? It Does it hang to. on? Uh, hang okay, on. Okay. Now this is where uh-huh. remember we said it's gonna be a rap session. This is how Jim and I talk okay. off air. <laughs> right. Does it really? Because if you were to take the convex geometry of your springbok, which is a medium-sized knife, what is a four-inch blade? Yep, it's four-inch blade okay. with a with a saber grind. So if you were to take that geometry, and I said, Jim, take this knife, this four-inch convex edge knife, mm-hmm. make me a figure four trap, make me more importantly a marshmallow stick. Oh yeah, I could and, do it. I could do it easily with okay. that. Okay, yeah. Now I think you could do it with ultralight bushcrafter too. Yep. But I don't think that you give up anything by eliminating that slightly smaller knife to go camping. Okay, now if yeah, you carried right. a big knife uh-huh then you want a small knife yes but if you carry a four inch blade knife do you need <laughs> a three and a half inch blade knife <laughs> okay mr logic okay especially if the yeah, grind okay. geometry uh, is similar right it, it it's not it's not quite similar the this the uh the springbok measures at 330 seconds on the spine okay and this measures 
no, five thirty seconds on and the spine. And you're eighth inch on and, the. And this measures three thirty seconds okay. on the spine. Okay. So so it's it's a little bit thinner. It's a little bit finer cuts. Your feather sticks are going to be a little bit lighter, easier to make, and. I'm making, still, yeah, I'm making a face. Yeah, he's making a face. You guys can't see us. He's making a face. Okay, raising so. my eyebrows and squinting my <laughs> eyes. I'm doing kind of this Gilbert Godfrey shoulder rock <laughs> well, right now. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. Let me just tell you. So, so, but let's go. I'm yeah. not. I'm not right. criticizing. I mean, I am actually <laughs> literally criticizing your loadout. No, it's totally. But okay. it's not a personal shot. So, all right. So yeah. let's go. So you have Springbok. You have Ultralight Bushcrafter for the fine work. What else? No, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I can do that's everything it. I need with those two knives. Okay. Including including taking down anything up to a four or five inch tree. Okay. Anything that I can like climb up a little bit and get to bend down, I'll yep. tension cut. Okay. I mean, and so that's that's how I would that's how I would cut the wood. And um you could do anything with that. You could you could make a bow, you could make a figure four trap, you could make you could make uh you could do anything you really needed to do. It's fine enough that you could that you could make um um, cordage, marshmallow, sticks. Oh. marshmallow yeah, <laughs> cordage, marshmallow yeah. sticks. It's, I he mean, was doing it's, a chest cut, so I was yeah. like, that's what I use that for. <laughs> yeah, 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 I tend hot to, dogs and marshmallows. I, I, te- I tend to not lever cut so yeah, much, yeah. but but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much what I carry. Okay, so and that's that's just out of my line. I imagine that other knives, um, like uh, the Falcon even S one yep. or the F one, yep. uh, either one, either one would would, would do the same. The Cold Steel SRK yep. would do the same thing. I mean, uh, and you could probably you probably get a lot of the same stuff out of that. Um, like SE five or SE. Oh yeah, absolutely, I mean? uh, absolutely. Uh, oh the uh, the uh, God, is it tops or SE that has their Scandivex Bushcrafter that they that they just released? That looked that looked pretty tops. promising too. I don't know that SE did. That. I think that sounds yeah. Like is it tops? tops top the tops? They I think they I just call it the Bushcrafter. Tops Bushcrafter. Nope, that's not it. The guys at uh, Vulture, the guys who make that oil that I like on the Sebenza so much, yeah, they have like a pretty bitchin' bushcrafter uh, sort of thing at a CPM one fifty four. That has <laughs> got kind of a skinny grind, and I, I think That's it's cool. It's kind of contemporary looking, so it doesn't necessarily have that um, nostalgia of like a birch bark handled puko. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but what it is is you're like, oh, that has all the you know whiz bang features of a bushcrafter. Mm-hmm. In a contemporary looking, almost like rescue gear. That's what their stuff sure. reminds me of. Is like rescue gear. Sure. All right. So, absolutely. Which is kind of cool if you're into a different flavor mm-hmm. of the same kind of knife. Gotcha. Okay. Um, um, yeah. So that that's what I carry in some comparable knives that were able that to find fit it the bill. Tops or uh, no, I wasn't able to find it. Granted, I am looking on Amazon, not Google. Oh, okay. While you're doing that, I sure. will uh, delve into what my bladed loadout is. Well, yeah, what is your bladed loadout, good sir? I'm not a chopper guy. No? Nope, not at all. Not at all. I grew up in the Southwest, and uh, I am a machete guy before I'm a chopper guy for sure. So yeah. so I, I can totally I can totally agree with that, the, the machete versus the chopper thing, because a lot of indigenous tribes and cultures, small, small cultures, have that 12, 13-inch small, thin chopping knife, yep. and they use it yep. for everything. 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 And... Ooh, that looks a lot. I'm not gonna right, lie. Right, right. So, looks, so I just turned that my. Looks a lot like the vulture. Right. So, so I, I just, I just turned my Chromebook around after I found the Tops Knives Bob, Brothers of Bushcraft Field Bob Hunter in 154 cm steel. So it's good steel. It's good grind. It, it's, it looks like it's super comfortable and it's a good price, 160 bucks. Um. So, so it, so that, that's the other one that you know kind of impressed me as I was looking at. This. Yeah. So I mean, if <laughs> if you like that Tops, you will also like because I feel it's in the similar vein. And fills a similar void. The Vulture Equipment Works. I'm trying to get to... It's. I think it's the Cholera. 
I know. <laughs> I didn't name them, guys. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, or the Talon Mark II. Hang on. Their mobile site is giving me... I don't think they're mobile. there's anything wrong with the mobile site. I think it's me. VultureEquipmentWorks.com. Yep. Uh, okay. See. Yeah, I think you showed me this one. I got it right here. <clears throat> this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Is there some similarities between those two? Yeah, some so similarities. I, yeah. I think they're, I mean, it's not like a copyright infringement or whatever, but I think if you like the tops, then it's worth checking out the, is it the cholera or the Talon? The Talon Mark II. Okay. Yeah, yep. check out the Talon also. The, the Talon Mark II. Yeah, the II. cholera is so, more of a, like a really aggressive. That's, uh, I like that better than I like yeah. this, the cholera, yeah. And they're both, they're both pretty cool. So go check those guys out if you're into that style, because I think they're neat. You know what I mean? So. And, very comfortable in the end. So 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 um did did you did you get out your your equipment loadout while I was typing away? No, I didn't. No, uh, oh, no, I, go ahead. I go think ahead. I inter- interrupted myself and then you interrupted myself. <laughs> Off the cuff, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, that's totally a, is. That's the uh that's the pace of this episode. So, for me, and I'll, I'll be very candid about this, I will carry one or two too many knives in my pack typically, and those are going to fall into the multi-tool slash pocket knife. Mm-hmm. So what I've stopped doing is carrying a pocket knife because I always carry a multi-tool camping. Yeah. And I have like an S30V blade on my Leatherman Wave. Or oh, that's char- cool. Charged titanium is like an S30V blade. So that's my little pocket knife knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like my Falcon even S1. Yep. And I also like having some sort of machete. Now, my favorite to date, to be completely honest, is the SE Hoongless. It that's is- a good knife. My yeah. favorite big knife. And I'm like I said, I'm not a strong back, heavy back chopper guy because I've never really seen the purpose of it. Um, I've I sub-zero camped uh, in Ooh, yeah. in hand in, in like uh, built shelters out of a tarp. Mm-hmm, right. You know what I mean? Not like the Gucciest of gear. We had a tarp and we'd be at 11,000 feet up in the Rockies camping in well below zero. So right. I'm look, I'm not a super bushcraft guru or whatever it is. I've just never had to use a big heavy knife to do chopping. I can process firewood and stay indefinitely with something like the Hoongless. Um, I do have a Gransfors Brux small forest axe, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like it for, you know, typically I like to operate, uh, especially where I'm from, with about a six inch aspen. Plus or minus six inch in diameter. You can aspen. do a lot with that though. So in aspen groves, those are a <laughs> continuous organism. I don't know if you knew that. So every time you see an aspen grove, yeah. that's one plant. Is it really? Yeah. It's just all connected underground all and then those are all just different network. offshoots. That's, right. that's cool. I did so not know that. It's kind of interesting. Oh. But what they do is they drop, and when they do drop, they're like lodge poles. They're perfectly straight, they're long, they're a reasonable diameter, okay. and they make great building materials. But you can also get about seven and a half minutes of burn time out of a quarter of a 12 inch. Aspen at six inches diameter. Ah, so you get about 15 minutes out of a half. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. you get about uh, 28 minutes out of a full round. Although right. it's a smoky full round because it's not combusting properly because it's not split. Right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, so it's very easy to calculate time. And because their consistency of growth, they make a good firewood. Now, they're not as good as like oak in the fact that they don't have this duration of burn. Mm-hmm. But because they're so calculatable, so readily available and so easy to split, you're not consuming right. calories processing them. Right. Right. It's faster for you to just get the wood. Wood in the fire exactly and then, and then you know how long that's gonna last and you know how much yeah. to split to get you through the night right, right. you know what yeah. i mean so that's why i like aspen grow so much and they make such great shelters because you can build with them so easily right uh, it's like dimensional lumber it's like getting a two by four for christ's sake <laughs> um so yeah so i like having my multi-tool i like having my falcon even s1 i like having my se hoongless although i traded it off and i never should have done that and now i carry the machete that is a modified ontario 12 inch which is what i carried in the jungle in okinawa 
Cool. And so that's all a lot of use for me too. Um, so I use that in its stead, and I like to carry a folding uh, pull saw. Japanese oh yeah, folding saw. Absolutely, yeah, and, yeah, very cool. I can totally see that. Yeah, and one hundred percent. Those bladed tools are what make up my camping loadout, uh, including that Grandster's Bruck small forest ass axe, um, axe. Small, small forest ass. Um, <laughs> so that's what I like to use, and more importantly, we wanted to kind of get down on some of the features. Now I like. The Felkneven, I did modify the spine to be able to use it in, in contradiction to last week's question about when is it cool versus practical. I did modify the spine a number of years ago to strike a fire seal effectively mm-hmm. and really rain down some sparks. Um, but again, I don't think it's necessary because the fire seals come with the striker. I still use it that way. I think it's a handy way to use it, but it's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessary because the striker weighs virtually nothing. Yeah, just um, take the striker. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's what it's for. Yeah, and they so, work so well, yeah. and they're so efficient. Um, no modifications to the Hoongless. I have baton through wood with it and had stunning results, but I've also used it to clear trails, which is typically what I like having a machete for. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I use a saw to buck the material up. I'll mm-hmm. use an axe to split it. One cool thing, guys, this is a, here's a bushcraft tip. Try to follow me because this is more visual than audio. When I am camping and I am using my either silky saw or my X-beam nokogiri that I I got while I was in Japan, um, I would cut nine-tenths of the way through the log. Through okay. the, the, yeah, the trunk, right? Yeah, yeah you, you know saw I mean? your way through nine-tenths of the way through. Almost, yeah. yeah, just inside the bark. So you still okay. want some outer, well, I don't remember, like the xylem, or I don't remember what it is. Yeah, yeah the, you get the outer, outer bark. Sapwood, sapwood, the sapwood. So I would that. leave, yep. you know, maybe a quarter inch, upwards of three-eighths of an inch of sapwood before cutting all the way through. Number one, this spares your blade from rocking it, from hitting it against the dirt, mm-hmm. right? Right. But then you break the log. And we're talking about a seven inch log, six, six inch log, and you break it. And what it creates is this big splinter, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it looks almost like a vampire killing steak. It comes down because it'll, it'll splinter off the bark and everything. Right. It'll actually peel the bark off the other piece. Yes. And so, you have yeah. like this uh, kind of shard yeah. sticking out on the side. So what I do, if you, because look, a chopping block camping isn't always feasible because that means somebody cut down a tree. Right. And cut it level or they cut down a large stump and it's out there ready for you to split firewood on. Right. You don't always have that. Right. So what you find is you find a duffy area, an area that's built up of pine leaves or it's built up of leaves and detritus and duff and, you know, everything else like that. And you take that spike and you stab it into the ground. Oh, and then then there's your splitting area. And now your your log, exactly, your log is standing straight up and I just split that log. Right. Every time I cut, I leave that little shard on the end. And I just smack it into the ground and I split right on the ground. Huh. Because I'm hitting leaves. And it's not moving because it's technically staked exactly. into the ground. Okay, and that's so cool. That's yeah. how I, and that avoids that, oh, I missed, and the log goes falling all over the place, or you're tired, or it's no degrees outside, or whatever it is, and you're fatigued because you're at twelve thousand feet elevation if you're right. up in the Rockies, you know. And now you just take one more element out and you're not tempted to hold it when your mind is slipping because you're right. tired or whatever. Yeah. Because it's very dangerous to hold that log and then, and try, then try to split, to split it, it. Right. Yeah. Forget with it. A hatchet or something like that. So you stab that into the ground and boom. And then you just split that log mm-hmm. and it works so well 
that I'm like, this is my technique and has been for years. Like that's, I, I just that's really cool. Time. I've never heard of that before, but it's totally logical. And you know what? I that's, haven't. I, yeah. I, I watch a, a lot of these bushcraft videos, and there's so much knowledge going around. There's so many great, talented people, and that is one thing that I have practiced for years that I have also never seen. I figured it was worth mentioning. Yeah, so kind of a little under the radar. Well, we'll call that the Martin technique. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one hour <laughs> Martinizing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. So, so yeah. One thing that um, I have noticed in all the knives that we have talked about is all of them have at least a drop point that drops the tip toward the center of the of the line of the knife. Yes. Every single one of them. I think a the, buck Kalinga would make a difficult camping knife. Yeah, it would. Yeah, with it a big would. trailing point for those of you who uh, be, aren't Because, because um, as, as I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Matt and I know this, is that is that as that tip drops toward the center of the, uh, the, the center of the center line of the knife, the tip becomes easier to maneuver. Yes. 100% of the time. Yep. So the spring box tip is in the center. The bushcrafters is slightly above center. Um, the, 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 the hungless is slightly above center. Um, I think if it's in line with the spine, mm -hmm. you still have control with it. Once it breaches the plane of the spine is where it starts getting a little wonky. Right, right, right. The, well, the, well, it's just you don't have the hand control behind and it. And you're not so, um, arc uh, slice cutting no. like you are mm -hmm. in a Skinner. No, Which yeah. in a Skinner, you, you want that curve, or some people want that curve. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be able to get more stroke per linear inch length of blade. Right. You know what I mean? Right. A Buck Kalinga, I think, has like a five-inch blade, mm -hmm. but it probably has close to a seven-inch cutting surface in that five-inch blade because and, of that. Sweep. And that's crazy, and I bet it works awesome, yes. but it's not something that I would take bushcrafting. Right. You know, absolutely. Um, we had some other we had some other topics, too, on top of this. So so we have a, a sharp spine or a soft spine. Matt, which do you prefer? Okay, so my preference is a reasonably sharp spine enough to shower sparks off a ferro rod. Right. Now, does that pose a safety hazard? Some knife makers say yes. Because any of us who've worked in the shop long enough have at some point cut ourselves, and tell me if I'm wrong, no. on the spine of a knife. No, I've done it, I've done it before. I've and cut myself on the tang. I've cut so myself on the spine of the knife. Because yeah. it's like, it's literally a, uh, a 90 degree angle. Yep. You know what I mean? It's a, it's yep. a square. No, I've done it. And yeah, you I've press done it, it yeah. in and it lays your thumb wide open. Yeah. And look, we all have pretty tough hands just from the, I mean, my hands are screwed. You know, <laughs> as, I, as you start like, analyzing yeah. your hand, you're like, oh damn. My God. And so, but uh, I know Mike Geary. Yeah. I, I met him. I, I've known Mike for a number of years, but I run into him at Blade and I'm like, oh, it looks like you've been busy. His hands look like charred wood. Like his thumbs <laughs> oh, no. from grinding. <laughs> yeah. Look, it looked like charred wood on his thumbs. Oh, like man. he's got the toughest looking thumbs. I was really impressed and i admired him <laughs> and he's like he goes oh this this is nothing you know handle it like a champ like super cool cat right uh but yeah so some people feel like that is a potential hazard i am actually a fan of the selective squaring of a spine you mean in in a certain spot yes that's that's let me guess away from where you wouldn't casually put your hand i would say if you were grabbing it in uh, like to do a push cut. So your thumb is riding on the spine, the edge right. is down and it's in a kind of modified fist grip, mm -hmm. right? It's not quite a hammer grip, but right. you know what I mean? Your yeah. thumb's on the spine. I think if the striker portion were be between the pad of your thumb and the face of your curled index finger, mm -hmm. somewhere in that distance, then you would have the control over your fire steel because I pull my fire steel. Yep. I don't. I don't push my knife. No, no, no. You pull the fire it, steel. It blows I mean, my tinder punt a lot. Yeah, and, and everybody else's that does it too. I've never seen somebody successfully do it and not 
hit their tinder at least a little bit. Yeah, and then send it so flying. Yeah, put your so knife down, you rest your hand, you put your fire seal and scrape it along like the bottom of the knife. Like starting a chainsaw. Right, yeah, exactly. That's how I do it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think you have a lot of control in that little nook. Mm-hmm. And there's also no real reason for your thumb to be mashed up against your hand. Right. You know what I mean? So I think in that little crevice would be the spot to do it. Now, whether or not I did that on my Falcon, I couldn't even tell you. I don't even remember. (laughs) So I probably Um, botched that. I haven't cut myself on it yet. So I don't don't think it's the end of the world, but if we're going to think about stuff, you know what I mean? That would be the place to put that. And then anything forward of that is because you want to have control over that knife and have reinforcement over the spot where you would typically have the least leverage if you were holding it in hammer grip. Right. So you want to put that thumb out to reinforce and give that power assist for the push cuts right. and lever cuts. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, that. What was the next question we had there? Choppers versus machetes. So we're talking about quarter inch or wider knives, large chopping knives versus something three sixteenths or thinner as for, for a machete. Man, I, I, yeah. I've never used a chopper. Mm-hmm. I've never had a need to. And I'm a huge fan of machetes because I can clear so much underbrush and it doesn't get fatiguing. Correct. Uh, you know, I've cleared yep. through a lot of scrub oak, miles of scrub oak as we blaze trails out in the deserts of Arizona, but like thick deserts, like high desert, right? Cedar and yeah. uh, scrub oak and all that stuff. Right. And as we reblaze a trail that at one time existed, uh, but was way overgrown, swinging around a three pound knife all day in the desert heat for miles. Forget it. No yeah. way. Yeah. No way. So, so um, at Bark River, we made two knives that fit that kind of a bill. So we actually didn't make this knife. What it was was we had one of our distributors bought a bunch of Ontario machetes. Oh yeah. And then we had we had gotten them in, modified them, had pre-made handles with loveless bolts onto them, and then sold them back to distribution. Um, and so, so we call that the Ontario machete and it's, it's a machete, man. It's eighth inch thick or, 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 and, and I love it. That's what I mean. That's what I carry in the jungle was that eight, you know, but oh, the yeah. ears are longer, like 24 inches, I think. Something like that. Yeah. yeah they're 24 inches. Yeah. And then we just modified them for the full convex. Yep. We, we shortened, we actually shortened the blade a little bit because these were, these were actually like huge, unwieldy, almost, huge, yeah. unwieldy. So we cut them back to a wieldy length. Sorry. I just hit the mic thing. You guys will forgive it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then and then sharpen them up, and they were fantastic little knives. I've I've, I've maybe seen one come back ever. I've seen as one far on as the archives. Yeah, yeah, and there's one on the archives I've ever seen. But yeah, those are hot. Like I would, totally, yeah. if you guys did those again, I would totally care. No, I mean, and yeah. they're good knives. They're good knives. We should actually make them back from scratch out of CPM 154. Yeah, or even 3V. Or Exploit even that. or even 3V. Yeah. So here's yeah. another thing, guys. Uh-huh. Uh, we warned you that this is going to be kind of tangential. So um, when it comes to the super steels, the only time you're really going to see and this is, yes, this is my opinion, but I am going to go so far, and I'm not usually this arrogant, but I'm on a roll tonight. Um, I'm going to go so far as to say this is actually the fact. So you are only going to see the benefits of the toughness. Now, I'm not talking edge retention or anything like that, mm-hmm. but you're only going to see the benefits of the toughness of 3V in thinner steels. Yeah, because absolutely. Because once you get to quarter inch or even like high 316ths nominally, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, 190s and stuff like that, yep. uh, you're going to have a hard time breaking any steel. Yeah, yeah, good I mean, luck. You're just going to, it's a quarter inch slab of steel, right? right. right. So, outside of a bad heat treat. But, but, right. but, but presuming something that the heat treat is excellent. Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have to be something that affects the whole run of, of the knife, uh, bad in manufacturing for that to actually consistently break right. across there. I mean, it, I don't care if the blade's 1084, you're 1070. You're going to have a hard time, you're gonna have a hard time yeah. doing it. So, but where you get to really exploit that toughness is in very thin knives. Yeah. So, a machete out of 3V would be phenomenal because yeah. its toughness is so high, yet it's so fast. 
Oh, and yeah. it slices so well and will chop through that underbrush because it's got good edge retention. Yep. You guys ask about favorite steels for a machete? There needs to be a 3V machete uh, because man, that is something one. you can stake your life on. And the problem with machetes is they make them out of uh, uh, spring steel, 1075, 1084, mm-hmm. 1095. You know, so they make them out of these spring steels, which are not the best at edge retention, but they're very tough. So you'll get a lot of flex and you get a lot of memory. Mm-hmm. But every night at camp, there you are with your friggin' diamond stone. I use a Gerber like four inch. It's very old. I've had it forever. It's a Gerber diamond hone. Yep. And I go through and I have to redo that edge every single night after cutting trails with my Ontario machete. Mm-hmm. Now at a three V, you're gonna get. I mean, you may have to touch it up at the end of the night, but I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. gonna be able to hammer on that thing yeah. all day long, and you're gonna get that flex. And you're going to have that strength and that yep. toughness. Mm-hmm. So that's where you really shine out with some of the super steels is when you exploit their properties by making them thinner, lighter, easier to use. It's not a terrible idea. We do still have the print laying around for all the modifications that we did. So it wouldn't be terrible to reproduce. I got a knife company too, sucker. Oh, well, then you do it and I'll buy yours. Uh, I, I, think, <laughs> okay. I think we are going to approach right. the machete because okay, I've cool. got... Uh, and we're just busting chops. But uh, <laughs> I've, I've got some plans for a bush knife because that is something... I and. I think your guys really love the big thick choppers, and they, they get off on it, and mm-hmm. they want to show their buddies how big of a log that they can well, baton. We, we've got we've got guys that do that though that that love taking large knives out and everything from our pro brush our pro brush knife, which is like two fifty on the spine, to the grizzly, to the to the to to um man, what's another huge knife that we've got? Uh, Dakar. Oh, the night the night the Dakar, the yeah. Senegal, the nineteen oh nine Bowie, the Moro Barong. And even though the more barongs at three sixteenths, I mean, these guys go out and they just wail on stuff with them and we're, and they, and you know, we love the pictures. It's great. Yeah, totally. But, um, to go back to other stuff that we've got, um, the Golok is probably the only other thing that would perform as well as yes. the machete. Now that's also three sixteenths, but why am I putting them in the same thing? It's because the balance is so good on the knife. It feels like it's, it's lighter than it actually it is. It has a very narrow blade. Yeah. The Golok's a very narrow yep, blade. The Golok is narrow blade, spine to edge. Yep. Even though it's three sixteenths and it's balanced properly, I mean, so so that's a that's probably an efficient chop, an efficient machete. Yes, in, that is in, honestly you know, um, because I'm such a bush knife guy more than I'm a chopper guy. Yeah, uh, and I just think that has to deal with where I grew up camping and spending time in the woods. Well, I mean, yeah, most of your experience comes from brush clearing. Yep. So and then jungle defoliation. Oh yeah, carrying you know around I mean? carrying something with a three eight spine, you'd never even consider. No, you'd be that, like. It, that, I wouldn't because that's mm-hmm. not where my entertainment is or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that's the two the the two knives. That's funny that you mentioned those two knives because I was hoping you would drop like a bomb on me. Like I never thought of that one. Oh. <laughs> the two knives uh-huh. that you mentioned are no longer a production, and that is the Golok and the Ontario Machete. Yep. And those are the only two that I would consider as my large knife, <laughs> uh, you know, bush knife knife. I, I think I think um, the Ontario Machete we'd have to we'd have to bring back from scratch. Yeah. And doing it at a 3V is an excellent idea, but that's a lot of steel. It is. It's a lot of steel for us to be able to do a couple hundred of those. I think for me, in the smaller um, quantities, and I, like I said, I have some style designs that I'd like to play with. And stuff I mean, like I that. think it's easier so, for you to do. I think for small, so, I, yeah, I can absolutely. move on a dime. I can pivot on a dime. You, you are so much more turnkey than we are. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, it's like when we're going to do a model, we're locked in for that six weeks oh, yeah. of production. Right. Period. It's not changing. We we can't we can't shelve it and put it and put it back because we're counting on that going through. Yep. I mean, so so I'm a little envious. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> so, uh, I'll show you my bank account. We'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very okay. few digits before the decimal. I see there. <laughs> Are you sure this isn't the percentage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Um, uh, since we are talking about this, uh, Dan Schwemann did send me a series of questions. 
on these specific topics. So I think even though it's not necessarily a Q&A segment, I think it's worth approaching these right now. Do you want to just, just jump right into the Q&As then? Yeah, we can just open with this. All right. Okay. Sounds good. All right. To the Q&As. All right. Take 96. What's happening, gang? This is Matt Martin with Behind the Blade Podcast telling you that this section of this lovely show is brought to you by KME Sharpeners. That's Kilo Mike Echo Sharpening Systems. Please check them out on kmesharp.com and at retailers. What do they say? Better, better, better retailers near you. So uh, look them up, find out who the distributors are, or order directly from the site. These guys have been huge supporters of the podcast from, a, well, maybe not day one, but probably day three. Uh, however, they because they're longtime listeners and fans of the podcast, they have set aside some very, very special gifts for you guys, only to be released once we reach 500 subscribers. Now, we are pretty close right now, but we are completely relying on word of mouth. So please share our content with all your friends who are into all things sharp and figure out what those prizes are that KME has set aside for you. Take in mind, they have also just upped their establishment, I don't know, five, tenfold. They just got, they just closed on a new big shop uh, to help meet the demands of their customers, which are you guys. I know we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the people who've used the KME sharpeners uh, that are listeners of our show. So go check them out. Check them out at kmesharp.com. And I believe they have a YouTube channel also. YouTube.com. <clears throat> Whoa, as I get closer to the mic here, yeah. guys, sorry. YouTube.com slash KME sharpeners. There you go. After a long-winded kind of loose chat about bushcraft and the blades that it involves, and I, you can go super in-depth, and I'm sure we'll hear from the listeners, and actually we would like to hear from the listeners what your favorite camp knife is, not specifically bushcraft, um, maybe your favorite bushcraft knife. I know we all kind of have a soft spot for the Ray Mears uh, wood lore. Oh, yeah, all the you time. I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We all grew up kind of watching that, like, oh, crazy. You know what I mean? Look what you can do with that tiny little knife. That's nothing like Rambo carry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's so, entirely different yeah, than what I'm supposed that's to know. Randall 18. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing that? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys what it is you like and why you like it. But in that same vein, we are going to kick off the Q&As with these questions from Dan Schwemann. So let's start off with, uh, you've stated on, these are his words. Number one, you've stated on many occasions that your favorite outdoor knife is the Falkneven S1 or pronounced Falkneven or Falkneven uh, S1. What is about, what is about this particular knife that you prefer compared to other production knives on the market today? What makes the S1 your favorite pick? All right. This is an easy one and it's not even my favorite because it's not romantic at all. And the romance behind knives, behind specific knives, like honestly, my Blackjack 1.7 is one of my all-time favorite knives and a very capable camp knife. Um, I've even thrown it a number of times. <laughs> but uh, what makes the S1 my favorite is the stainless steel for corrosion resistance. Now, I am a fan of VG10. We just saw a video with survival lily mm -hmm. where she took a falcon even s1 <clears throat> and turned it into a saw yeah and she wasn't chipped doing out. anything yeah it chipped out thanks chipped to out her. yep like just chipped the edge brutally like all up and down and i don't think she was doing anything really that far out of line with it as far as abuse or something like that and i can tell you that mine 
use like a rented mule and it has never done that. So I, I it's almost like Kimber 1911s. Mm-hmm. Um, Denver PD actually prohibited cops from carrying Kimber 1911s. Really? They prohibited because they had for a short period of time or maybe an extended period of time, I don't know how long it lasted, uh, poor reliability issues. Really? Like wow. To the point where cops weren't allowed to carry them. Wow, that's now, bad. Now, my yeah. Kimber custom TLERL2, I guess, was older. Mm-hmm. I could shoot aluminum cased ammo out of it. I could shoot PMC. I Whatever could shoot you wanted. Winchester. It was not a picky eater, which is rare for 1911s anyways. Uh-huh. But this thing was a tack driver, and I never had a problem with it. Now, that's not to say that I'm extraordinarily um, anal when it comes... I mean, I'm a little bit, I guess, when it comes to my tools and weapons, but not over the top you know what i mean i still use them like a tool or a weapon i you know what i mean i don't white glove everything right and i never had a problem same thing with the s1 i never had a problem i didn't and now i and i feel bad because after seeing uh lily's issues with hers i'm like well is this really the best knife in the world i can tell you that mine is the one that i own the one that matt martin owns and is in his knife box right now that, to me, is the best knife in the world. And the reason being is because it's corrosion resistant. Mm-hmm. I like VG10's edge holding pro- properties. Yeah, I've had no problems with any chipping or anything, no matter how much I've hacked with it. Even in, again, guys, going back to below zero degrees Fahrenheit. Right. Uh, I had That's no, an extreme situation. Yeah, too, yeah, no problems with it whatsoever. And it's light. And yeah. it's low profile. And it has convex edge geometry, which makes simple camp tasks a lot easier. So, to me... Those things all put together in this ugly little knife with a handle that you kind of have to get used to how uncomfortable it is makes it – it's not uncomfortable. It's just smaller than what you're used to in typical knives. If you took like a Bravo or something like yeah. that or even if you took like a K-Bar and went to an, an S1, mm-hmm. you'd be like, what is this? It's got kind of a small handle and yeah. I have kind of small hands. So that works out to my advantage, although I had to adjust to it, but I've never experienced fatigue even after using that knife for hours and hours on end. So that is why I like the S1. I like the corrosion resistance. I like the simplicity of the build. I like the lightweight and I like the blade steel. The laminated VG10 has worked for me without a problem. I baton the crap out of it with no issues. So uh, this part two of the question, what are your reasons for liking the S1 over various other models from Falcon even such as the F1 or the A1, etc. The A1 is a bigger knife. And I think once I move to a bigger knife, uh, hang on, I pushed a button on my phone. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> once I move to a bigger knife, then I lose the benefits of the S1 to me. Now, is the A1 great? Yes, but I think the A1 starts stepping into the SRK area. Yep, it, it's it, pretty similar. And if you it, can get like yeah. an old Carbon V SRK or even they do like a Sandmai laminated or you, you may, maybe the Alsate, which I'm not a huge fan of Alsate just because me personally, I have a hard time sharpening it. The, the uh, Carbon V SRKs are my favorite, if, I think. Oh, I've had a, a bunch of them and yeah. those are my favorite knives. And that's what drew me yeah. to S1. I said, here's the, before the Sandmai version came out, I said, mm-hmm. here's this laminated steel SRK. When I got it, I was like, this thing's tiny. I'm like, I don't want this. <laughs> and then I took it yeah. out and used it. I said, I want this forever. Yeah, this so is good. We're if good. I was going to go with uh, an A1, I would probably actually take an SRK over an A1. Um, maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe it's the carbon steel. I don't know. But I just me personally. And the F1 to me is too small. I, I think the F1 is a great EDC knife. And yes, you can absolutely survive on it indefinitely. But for the tasks that I do and the things that I want to use it for and the things that I'm used to, the operations I'm used to performing, then the S1 is in the sweet spot. The A1's too big. The F1's too small. Um, what are your opinions, thoughts on batoning a knife? Uh, favorable. Yeah. Right? This is polarizing, right? Some people uh, it, hate it. Well, oh, well, it's polarizing, but 
so so let's let's explain the polarization real quick. So you've got guys who have seen people baton poorly and break their knife, and then the same guy who's broken the knife due to bad technique blame the knife. Of course. So 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 immediately right there. Bad carpenters always blame the hammer. Right, right, yeah. right. Immediately right off the bat, you have you have you have like this 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 bad situation brewing, and it's 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 bad technique versus the knife. So you can break a good knife with bad technique in batoning. Yes. So a lot of companies don't cover batoning in their warranty. They'll be like, if you broke the knife with batoning, we're not covering it. Sorry. Dems the chips. Because you may so, or may not be a meatball. Right. And they cannot prove one way or the other. Right. right. And neither can you. Right. Right? Because because all you've got is, is words to go on. So a lot of people don't cover that. So does that mean that you shouldn't learn the technique? No. It does not mean I think that, it's a critical that, survival skill, to be honest no, with you. Because it is a critical survival skill. You're totally right. You should be able to take your four-inch blade or five-inch blade, cut some wood, make a baton, and and, and use that to pound your knife into it because you're in a survival situation. You don't have an axe or a chopper, but you you need wood so you can not die from exposure to that knife that night, right? So I think it's a technique that you should learn. I think it's a technique that you should practice, but I think that you should do some research first on exactly how to do it so you don't break your knife and pitfalls to watch out for. That does not mean that batoning is bad. If you can bring an axe with you, you're going to find that it's easier with an axe. Yes and no. So No? Okay, go ahead. And this is... Look, I spent most of my youth, my stepdad was... uh, He had gold fever real bad. He was addicted to prospecting. Yeah, you were telling me this the other night. It's really interesting. True story. So gold fever is like a a term people use, Mm -hmm. and it's a real thing. It's an addiction to the rush of finding gold in black sand. And it, it was a very real thing. So every day after school and every weekend, we'd be out in the desert. We'd be camping on holidays. I mm-hmm. spent my whole life growing up in the desert, um, out of doors in the desert. Never right. once did I baton a single thing. Right. Yet I camped that way forever. I never saw my stepdad do it. I never saw my mom do it. Never did it. It wasn't until I was a little bit older, uh, early 20s, mm-hmm. and okay. I saw a Ray Mears video mm-hmm. where he was doing that with a woodlore. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, I can't believe I never even thought of that. <laughs> now, I would cut stuff. You know what I mean? Sure. You would, you would uh, kind of sliver wood off to make your kindling and stuff like that. But I never thought of bisecting a section of thick wood and doing that. But right. I also didn't. So that brings me to my next point. If this is you, then I'm not even sorry. I'm just going to tune you up. But to the rest of the world... This is the way you should baton. It is not about how big of a diameter piece of oak can I literally bisect. No, Cut that's not. Right across the middle no. in the heartwood. You're asking for an injury. You're asking for a broken blade. You're asking you, to get your blade so stuck yeah. that you almost can't retrieve it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's is, almost you have to understand what the technique is just to free your blade you at that can point. And baton you baton firewood yeah. with your springbok at four inches. Yep. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a two-inch stick. Nope. You can actually take a 14-inch piece of oak yeah. and start working from the outside into yeah, the heart. right. You do a spiral. Right. You just, you just keep on spiraling yep. until, until it's And you create corners, yep. and then you cut those corners yep. off from the outside in. And and, and so, so the initial trick that I learned, a little, little anecdotal. So the first time I tried that, I was, I was, I, 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 I uh, it was like a, 
I don't know, nine inch piece of wood. Okay. And and I put my knife on the edge of it and I started batoning down and it only went through a third of the way before it chipped out. And and I went, oh, I must suck at this. I'm terrible. And the guy over my shoulder, it might have even been Reed, actually, when we were at PWYP, leans down and goes, that's how it's supposed to happen. Just keep going around. <laughs> Don't be a sissy. Right. <laughs> Just, it is what it is. Just keep on going. Just keep going. So I'm like, all right. So I ended up doing it. And within, I don't know, six, seven minutes, the whole nine inch piece was like, Maybe quarter by quarter chunks. Pencils. Pencils yeah, yeah. at that point. So you just keep on going. See, you, yeah, you, you start on the outside and you work your way in. That's it. And it so when people push the knife to their absolute limit and they're like, well, in a no, in a survival situation, you should actually cherish this one and only tool. Pretend that there is no Walmart right. after you get in your SUV and drive back into town and get the Slurpees and watching DVDs <laughs> on the backs of the seats. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And they're like, well, if I was in a survival situation, well, if you were in a survival situation, this Swiss Army knife, folding knife, would be my absolute prized possession. If I was lost in the woods, and for whatever reason, this is the only knife I had on me, yeah. I would treat this thing like a Fabergé egg. Oh, yeah. And, and I Absolutely. would respect the hell out of it, and I would use it, as skillfully as possible, as my limitations, as my personal aptitude would allow. Right. And I would push myself just slightly beyond that to gain new levels of aptitude with it. Because if I had to live indefinitely off of just this pocket knife, I I would like to, we'd all like to fantasize and say, oh, I could totally do that. I would like to think I could do it, but I don't know if there's a cougar. I don't know what my level of exposure is before I die, but I know that I'm going to try my damnedest to make this pocket knife do everything I need it to do to survive, not try to hammer it through a 14-inch piece of oak. Right. You know what I mean? That's a fool's errand, and that goes back to this bravado, my knife is bigger than your knife attitude, and I hate that. I I detest it. Yeah, because it has no place in any sort of survival skill. Whatever. Exactly. This is not, I mean, these are valuable tools, and look, man, I love the Jimmy Lyle Rambo knife. I love, you know, uh, the Randall 18s and the Randall 14s. And I, I love these big knives that are super cool. I love the Bravo Survivor. I mean, these are just cool knives. But let's not kid ourselves that there is a time when there's aesthetic appeal and it just makes you feel good. And this goes back to last episode a little bit. And then there is a time to what are the capabilities of this tool to perform a function? And to perform a function, you do not baton a log down the center. So I'm, Ever. I'm ranting on that one. So no. let's get on to the next part of the question. No, no, no. <laughs> I'd, I'd say the only time you could really safely do that would be if your blade length was significantly bigger than the diameter of the wood. Significantly. Significantly. Like six so, inch blade so we're talking, versus hoongless. We're talking like... Easy peasy. We're talking like your blade length is... Your blade length, 60% of that's the diameter of the wood. It's enough for you to get enough leverage on the outside that you yes. can tap all the way down yep. through. Yep, yep. So. And, and that's okay, because, I mean, if you – it's a math game. So, I mean, yep. if the length of your blade is significantly, like, two to three times longer than the diameter of the log that you're working on, yeah. then you're just playing it safe, and you're like, this is a capable tool to be able right. to do this. But but if I had a 13-inch blade, right, and and the, the diameter of the log was still a... nine inches, I still would not go for the center. No, because you're, what right. you're doing is you're, you're burning calories unnecessarily, and you're struggling, and then you're inadvertently flexing the knife at the plunge line. And what if it breaks? Now exactly. Yeah. You have a knife lodged into a log yeah. that is unsplit. Yeah. So you're gonna have a cold night. Yep. And you have a handle that can't cut. Right. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> congratulations <laughs> on surviving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So start on the outside and work your way it's in with be the a cold night. So, so 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 quickly to answer that and to sum everything up, 
Um, it's important to understand the skill, it's important to understand what you were doing, and it's important to understand that skill's limitations, and that it only be used if you have no other option. Right, and the, the tool and the skill's limitations, so, right, yeah. absolutely. And in no circumstance, and now, and look guys, we're not bushcraft experts, we're not survival experts, quote unquote, that's like, I wish I could show you guys how big the air quotes are right now, because there's so many out there. <laughs> in fact, I'm drowning um, in the sea of the air quotes that I, Matt's putting up. I just know what has worked for me while camping, I've never been lost in the woods. I've never had to survive indefinitely other than voluntarily. You know yeah. what I mean? And no, no. so I'm in the uh, same boat, yeah. I, I just know what has worked for me and I do spend a lot of time in the woods and we are actually building you guys are gonna wait till we get to the new shop. You guys are going to hear cars in the background because not a quarter mile away is the highway and there's a train track there. <laughs> but it's, it's enough of a staging area to represent what we're doing, though. So we're going to build so, a little bushcraft camp out there so that we can test stuff and show stuff. I have a wide variety of trees on the property and stuff like that. So we can go through all the motions. Uh, it just happens to be on my property, which is close to the mm-hmm. building. So uh, they're full disclosure. I can't wait for you guys to see it as we develop this. I'm going to get to the last part of this question. And then, Jim, I think you had one more, and then we need to wrap this up. All right. Uh, just side note, I know you love the DC three and the DC four pocket stones. I've purchased a few of them over the years and wanted to ask if you noticed any quality control issues in these stones. The most recent stones I ordered a couple years ago had glue oozing out the edge of the stone. Diamond plate was affixed to, a cr- uh, affixed crooked to the ceramic plate. It just seems very sloppy and was actually quite disappointing considering the high price of the small sharpening stones. The original stones I purchased years prior to those had no issues whatsoever, but the last couple stones all had the same poor quality build. Just wondering if you had any issues like that with yours. Um, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I, and this isn't me being a dick, Dan. I promise. Um, I, I never noticed. The only time I actually noticed was on one of my other favorite stones from over, well over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was a spider code double stuff that I still have today. Mm-hmm. And it's crooked. Oh. And you can see some of the cement that's holding them together. Right. Like the epoxy yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, whatever. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like, if it bothers you a lot, I'll take it. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> so, in, the, in the realm so, of $20, $30 yeah. when you're getting sapphire, ceramic, and diamond-coated steel, uh, then I think you're you're paying good money for good substrates and good materials. Yeah. Uh, the fit and finish, yes, it should be good. But, I mean, at the realm of 30 bucks, if it's not uh, – lined up or if there's some excess adhesive coming out the side as long as it doesn't affect the function i would even just scrape it off and call yeah. it a day yeah i kind i kind of would too i mean granted that's the type of people we are though i mean like we're we're improvised adapt and overcome yeah kind of people um but you know if you have an issue i'm sure i'm sure fault even would take care of you oh yeah i'm you sure know, they I mean, would step I, up yeah. but I, yeah. honestly i wouldn't let i wouldn't let that rent any space in my mind and i would just be like you know what sweet i have this tool that performs this function i paid under a hundred dollars for it and it it makes my knife uh, sharp indefinitely. And I would just be stoked about that. And um, I I think we could all learn a little bit by being stoked at the attributes and not getting hung up on the minutia. Now, when you pay $500 for a custom knife, it's okay to dive, dive into it a little bit and be like, hey, there are gaps and there's glue coming out. And there's scratches in the blade and stuff like that. Yeah, but I think, okay. I think for an actual field use tool, something like a sharpening stone, uh, for me, I'm just cool with it. You know, just it, it is what it is. If yep. it didn't work or if it was chipped or something, I'd have an issue. But otherwise, yeah. If it was, if, if it came to you cracked, yeah, that that, that, that would be a huge breaker. issue. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, next, last question for the night from Matthew Clinchock. Hello, gents. Hey, guys. I know you prefer to remain humble on the show, but I'm sure I am not the only one who was who was partially drawn to the show specifically because of a love for BRK and vehement knives. We kind of already know which knives you prefer on, of your own brands, Jim the ULB and Matt. Well, you never save any for yourself, so who actually knows? <laughs> so, while remaining humble to your own product, I was curious what your favorite model is of each other's knives. So, Matt, what is your favorite Bark River? And Jim, 
What oh. is your favorite vehement? Nice. Good if one. they happen to be a one-off custom like Jim's Marauder or Matt's Viclad Dagger, please also include your favorite standard model, such as the Bravo 1 or the Kudo Misa. Thanks. So, my favorite model of yours, Matt, is the Kudo Misa. Oh, it's my favorite and, too, man. Dude, I love it. Oh, I'm it, so glad it's, to hear that. It's, <laughs> it's, I, 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 I I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to the day when you're able to make, like, a hundred and in and, and one shot Instead in a batch. 12. Yeah. So so because because I am like primed and ready to like jump on the website and instantly just buy one the second they go live on one of the distributor sites. Because I absolutely want one. It's it's a cool knife. I know that I would carry it. It's it, it strikes me like the classic drop point hunter strikes me done oh, differently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, like I love your finish. I love I love how it goes together. You do a good job on the knife, and it's something that I do want. Thank you. It's a cool knife. That's, that is, uh, Matt, also, that is my favorite vehement knife is the Kudo Misa. I think it, it's got a rich story behind it. And as far as a field knife goes of something that is capable, that is my favorite. But I'm supposed to be talking about my favorite Bark River at this very moment. <laughs> and I, mean, None I of could them. say, <laughs> no, no, no there's a lot. And so what I'm trying to do is, is pare it down to the quintessential Bark River because immediately what comes into my mind is the Wilderness Explorer. And that's not necessarily fair. Now, Mike was, Mike Stewart of Bark River Knives was a a good personal and professional friend of Bob Loveless and has made some Bob Loveless style knives. Yep, uh, to the I, point where we actually have copies of the original blueprints for the classic draft point. Right, in, in fact, it's one, totally of very, one of very yeah. few companies that is authorized uh, by paying money to Bob and being uh-huh. authorized by Bob to make the classic <laughs> we, drop point hunter. We, we have it so, in writing. Yeah. We have a copy of the check that he cashed. Right. I mean, so, so I mean, it, that's, it's, it's and, totally and true. Believe it or not, I think it's like Schrade, Bark River, I think Beretta, maybe Gerber. It, maybe it wasn't Beretta. Maybe it was Gerber. I think it's yeah. Gerber, Schrade, and Bark River. Like the only three, there might even be four. Maybe it was Beretta also. Mm-hmm. I think there's four companies out of every dropped hunter you've ever seen or everything that's been influenced by it. So anyways, back to my point, Bark River is allowed to make, to make some of these loveless knives. So the Wilderness Explorer is probably my favorite Bark River knife, but it's not fair to do that because it's not necessarily a Bark River knife. So something that's quintessentially Bark River, <laughs> I would say is somewhere in the realm of the Bravo... One two five or Bravo one five? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. the and the Springbok. Thank you. I would yeah. like to see it with bolsters. Yeah, I would too. But other uh-huh. than that, uh, and that's just for aesthetic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a pretty useful size. But I think the 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 one I had one and I, I gave it to a friend of mine. Um, it was I think it was a one point five. Close to a perfect knife. Sure. Like I mean, I, as far as like a camp knife goes, mm-hmm. like you yeah. can use it for everything. Yeah, like the, you, if you took just that knife, you'd be fine. Right. You know, uh, I think I think the one point five is a five and a half inch blade. That's probably why I like this and, so much. And the one point two five is a five inch blade, and the one is a four and a half inch. The blade. Aurora is another one that yeah. really. Oh my god! That's an all using knife. I love that. That knife. that the that, handle on yeah. that is is sick. I I can see guys. It's unfair because what happens is is you'll ask me a question like, "What's your favorite knife?" So my daughter's like, what's your favorite cookie? 
And she'll ask that. And I'll be like, well, I think it's Oreos. And then I'm like, ooh, but chips ahoy are so good. And then I'm like, Milano's, Milano's, Milano's. <laughs> I, I it's like, it back. Yeah. You know those Toll House yeah. cookies that you buy at the grocery store and right. take home and bake? I like those. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> and so it just sets a snowball down the hill. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think the Bravo 1.5 is probably pretty close to the perfect knife. I have a Bravo Survivor. I love that knife. I feel like I could do anything in the woods with that knife. I have mm-hmm. taken that knife camping I don't know how many dozens of times, <laughs> and it has never left the truck. <laughs> it's like and you've had such a visceral reaction to it because i remember you seeing it and you're just like oh i like this, I this love is awesome this and i take it with me all the time and it has never crossed the plane of the kick plate on the jeep that's it from the floorboard that, and i've never taken it out that's it just put it on your belt yeah I need next to. time just put it on your belt oh, i'm sure so you can't it. forget it yeah exactly <laughs> I, I, I so. Love that. so yeah a bravo 1.5 or the aurora that would probably be and the spring box so those three right mm-hmm. there i kind of like the essential too but it's too heavy the essential, I, the essential, I, I think, needs to be lightened. And I'm not yeah. nothing fancy. I, re, I, I mean, I, I tried to make an essential last grind, and, and some jerk out there who will go unnamed made the last one. Really peeved me off. <laughs> was it me? Are you? No, so no who was okay. It? I, remember, I think it was Donovan. <laughs> was it? I think it was Donovan. Oh, folks. man. Yeah. Oh, I, I love Donovan, think, I, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I got, I think it was Big Don. Yeah, Big D. I, <laughs> I, I think he's the one that got it. And I was like, I wonder where the Yeah. Well, well. You know, to, to talk about Bark River for a second, in about a week or so, we are doing another run of Essentials in CPM 154. Ooh, you know me and 154. You have CPM 154. See, uh, like yep, that. no fuller, so it is unique. No fuller. No fuller on this one. Well, that'll be interesting. It'll It'd be look nice. good with a hologram. It would look good with a hologram. Bolsters? Oh, yeah. Let's talk oh, yeah. turkey after the show. Okay. <laughs> 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 All right, you know what, Jim? I think that is a podcast. This was a lot of fun, guys, and thanks for bearing with us as we kind of do what Jim and I do, and that is BS about bladed stuff. Guys, this is Jim Stewart signing off for Matt Martin. It's been episode 20 of Behind the Blade Podcast. You guys have a fantastic evening, and we will see you guys next time. guys so much this is jim stewart signing off for matt martin it has been a very successful and very awesome episode 20 of behind the blade podcast do not forget to hit that subscribe button on itunes google play follow us on stitcher follow us on soundcloud or wherever you aggregate your podcasts on android i like podcast addict but i hear Castbox is also an excellent choice for that on the bottom of our website that's www.behindthebladepodcast.com there is a beautiful little donate button if you feel like we um, give you something and you want to show a little something back that's a great way to do it uh, if you have any questions don't forget to email us at info at behindthebladepodcast.com or, or check out our Facebook page facebook.com slash behindtheblade_podcast. give us a like there as well um, I would say we're going to have steady giveaways as we grow so the more likes and shares and subscribers that we get, the more cool stuff that you guys get. Do not forget to do any of that stuff. And thank you guys so much. We will see you guys next episode. Bye.